You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to the 18th episode of Hats and Minded. It's uh, Scott Mandela from the US and uh, me, Patrick Bexel from Sweden. It's uh, past midnight here and uh, you just got back home from work, uh, Scott, so I appreciate you you're rushing home so I can go to bed earlier <laughs> this year than normal, this, this, this day than normal. Uh, and, and I mean, like, there we haven't been on for, for quite some time, so it's better to just jump into to everything. And uh, we have some waiver news, uh, first and foremost. Uh, our favorite Mago or, or uh, Nikita Sherbak, our second favorite Russian maybe uh, nowadays, or, or third, <laughs> uh, since Markov is still probably our favorite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Nick Sherbak got um, set up on the waiver list and uh, um, th- there wasn't really a shock, but LA Kings grabbed him and, and you are the AHL expert and you have followed uh, Sherbak for, for most of his career here in North America. And, and so what are your thoughts about this? It's. I'm happy because it gives Sherback an opportunity to play an expanded role with a team. It's clear that in Montreal, it, finding a home for him was going to be extremely tough because this was if there was ever a preseason for him to have, you know, jumped out and seized the opportunity, this was it. And he, like a few others, kind of didn't really take the chance to. And that's not a knock on Sherbeck. He's notoriously been known as someone who starts slow every year. And then once he finds his groove, he just kind of clicks along. Like last year, he had a slow start in Laval, and then he played it up point-per-game pace, and then he got called up, and he kind of got lost in the shuffle on what was a disastrous Montreal team. The way I see it, sending him to the AHL was to try and help was the right move. If he got sent down there, um, the Rocket get a huge offensive boost, something they've been needing because they've been struggling to score goals in some games. They could have used that effort there. And if he gets claimed, he still gets to play in the end. It's just one of those things that's like every now and then you lose someone. It's not the first first-round pick who's been claimed on waivers. It's just shocking to me that L.A. passed on um, Carolina Wade Valentin Zykov, Zykov on earlier this week or last week depending on recording here. And he was the guy who scored 33 goals in the AHL last year and was an L.A. draft pick before that. So I thought, okay, if they pick him, but Edmonton did, maybe there's a chance that Sherback will actually clear waivers. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Even as one of my favorite prospects, it's good to see him hopefully get another chance um, once he's uh, in L.A. and actually fully healthy. Yeah, and I think you mentioned before in, in both in articles, and there's always been rumors <laughs> going around and uh, around Nikita Sherbak, but um, that you know he's usually maybe uh, laid off training a little bit during the summers, but these last two summers he's really put in an effort, and and to to see it go unrewarded is is a a shame in many ways, but also no one can really have predicted you know the breakout season with the. Uh, people that we're going to talk about in, in a few minutes, but uh, Domi uh, going in at center, uh, Kotkaniemi coming over being so good, um, um, that was not something we anyone of us predicted. And and we got Ruan moved over to the wing again and, and finding his pace there. So all the moves that were made this summer sort of hampered Nikita's... Uh, chances for taking a roster spot, roster spot in, in uh, Montreal this season as well. Yeah, and I think a lot of it, people see, they look at the way he plays and they assume he's um, lackadaisical or he's lazy. He's that you know lazy Russian stereotype that you've heard about for years and years and years. And I think that's a bit unfair. It's that the way that he skates and the way that he plays the game is he plays at a slower pace. He's not being lazy It's just how he reads the game. He's methodical with his movements. And I think even if he was in the lineup this year, he'd be a tough fit because of the way he plays. The offense this year is foot down and forward. There's not, you know, 
slowing down to find the passing play. It's you get into the zone and you set up or you are moving the puck, and that doesn't always play to his strengths. It would have been interesting to see what he could have done in the lineup, but with a team that plays a little bit more methodical like L.A. does, it could very well be a good fit for him, especially if he gets a chance with some of their better scorers. But like you said, it's sometimes, you know, it's better to move on and, you know, hope that they have the better or, you know, you cut your losses on something and then you take your chances. That's what waivers is. Sometimes you get lucky and you sneak someone through. Sometimes you lose someone. It's just the nature of the game. Yeah, and he, I've seen, I haven't seen Sherback much, but he reminds me a little bit about Martin Rewai, uh, the way he skates, as, as you say, like he, he more or less glides around the the zone and you don't really see him skating hard and, and you think he's lazy because of that, but it's it's so smooth, so you can't really fault him either because it's his pace and, and when he can get the, the game to go at his pace, they're outstanding, both of them, at least when they were on the top of the game. Absolutely. And uh, moving on, and just a couple of hours ago, we got, and let's just apologize in advance, Scott, like Xavier Ouellette <laughs> uh, went on waivers from uh, from Montreal. Uh, a player Montreal grabbed in, in the summer when Detroit had bought him out after all the two years left on a three-year contract and, and signed for a one-year deal. Uh, it's not the end of the world uh, to me if he gets claimed uh, because I think, you know, it's one one-year deal. We probably can't fleece him or, or swap him for a draft pick or two in, in or even two just be happy with a draft pick but uh, around uh, deadline day or anything like that he, he'll probably get claimed we we're aware of that but also I think that you know it's a, it's a sign that Montreal has players coming back from injuries and players that are good and young and worth of, of keeping around rather than you know, or we're losing another player without getting anything back. I mean, like, this player didn't cost us anything either. It cost us a couple of hundred thousand dollars for, for the time he's been here. Yeah, uh, nothing. You know, $725,000. Like, I wouldn't kill to have that kind of money in my pocket right now. But the thing about Willette is, um, Juleson obviously had that facial fracture where he took back-to-back pucks in the face in the same game. Um He's likely to come back soon, and that means they need to clear up a right-handed defense spot now Now that Shea Weber is also in the lineup. And unfortunately, that kind of leaves Willette as the odd man out. He was kind of that fringe guy to begin with. And if he were to clear, it's a huge boost for the Rocket, who could use you know another stable presence on their blue line. Um, Mete's done pretty well. Um, even Alsner hasn't been awful in the AHL, and he's been kind of steadying on the pairings that he's been on. Um, if we'll let clears, then it's just another option that Montreal has if they need to call someone up in case there's another injury or guys need a night off because someone's got the flu or whatever. Um, I don't, it's not everyone agrees with me. I don't think we'll was terrible. I just think part of it is when he or his partner messed up, the puck went in the net and that always reflects really badly on someone. So I'm thinking he'll probably clear it gets $700,000 off the Canadian's cap, keeps their roster compliant at 23 bodies. It's a move that, you know, not much fuss needs to be made about. It mostly just means that Noah Juleson's healthy and ready to play at least. Yeah, well, we're, we're on different ends here, but I think he will get claimed. Uh, there will be someone taking a chance and maybe finding him a better partner than he had in Montreal. But in, in a way, I think, you know, if he goes through... Uh, fine, Rocket will need him, and they're getting a good blue line together there. And uh, in a way, it's a testament to to maybe the the uh, prospects that were brought over from Europe, uh, Slinitska and uh, the other Czech's name I forgot it, but yeah. Moravchek. Yeah, Moravchek. And and uh, you know maybe they they need a little bit more maturity. Uh, players like Ouellette uh, and. Uh, uh, Alsner and, and Mete as well is bringing in that you know professional attitude and uh, as I mentioned before on a pond that, that I was part of I really think that this is beneficial to have the team in, in Laval uh, close to Montreal or, or even part of Montreal uh, you can still stay in your own, your regular flat or house whatever you have got and, and, and benefit from that in many ways and I think you know, Montreal benefits from it, Laval benefits from it, and if they get picked uh, off the waiver wire, we, we, you, you, you take your losses, and 
we can't really fault Bergevin because he has done an amazing job this summer. And uh, no matter what we thought in the, in the at the start of it, which uh, brings me over to to one of those trades that uh, has turned out very well for for Mark Bergevin and. Uh, I was uh, not a fan of it when it happened, and uh, I apologize to to some people on Twitter because I was harsh on Max Domi at that time. But yeah, Max Domi has adjusted very well, and uh, he showed his game uh, in two games against Ottawa, and uh, even Drouin chirped in a little bit extra. I think Max Domi is rubbing on off on, in in that phase as, uh, <laughs> as well, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. It's you know. You've got Druan during the intermission, you know, saying what he did, and then definitely uh, when you play teams, you know, three, four times, three, four times, almost in a week and a couple of days. So um, we're not going to be a battle. We we hate those guys like they hate each other, like they, they hate us. And against Ottawa last night, you've got Zach Smith absolutely just crawling inside of his skin, trying to murder Max Domi. What because Domi sitting on the bench Tuesday night is looking at him, whistling, waving, and, you know, saying waivers to the guy that got waived in the preseason because his owner and GM are idiots, mostly. And then there was this whole big to-do about it. And all Domi's done is he got three points in the game on Wednesday, on Tuesday night. Um, didn't get any points in the game on Thursday night, but he had the Senator so off their game by playing with his mouth, not with you know, the puck on his stick that they didn't know what to do. Every time he was on the ice, it's like they were just trying to kill him instead of play hockey. And that freed up his line mates. Andrew Shaw scored his hundredth career goal. Uh, Jonathan Drouin looks, he's been playing the past two games. Like everyone's been waiting for, for two years now he's playing with the speed that he has in his skates. He's got his head up. He's making smart passes. He's getting the puck into the dangerous areas and he's finally doing what everyone knew he's capable of. And a lot of that has to do with the way that Max Domi plays. Domi is a very straightforward, he gets into the slot, he gets the puck distributed, and he's a great passer. Everyone assumes because his last name was Domi that you've got this kid, he's going to be that gritty, hard-hitting forward. He plays physically, but I've seen him make passes that have absolutely taken my breath away. And I'm happy to eat crow on this. He's got 30 points so far this year. He's got 13 goals and 17 assists, and that's nothing short of incredible for a kid who spent last year playing with Zach Ronaldo on his wing. And that's benefiting Drew End because it's gotten him going. He's got to keep up with his line mate now. And even Andrew Shaw on their line has eight goals this year and is staying healthy. And it's almost like a redemption line. It's all th- it's three players who needed to prove their worth on this team. And so far this year, all three are doing that. Yeah, and uh, I don't know who's uh, teaching whom how to, to rob players the wrong way, but uh, Shaw and Domi, you don't want to be on the ice. I mean, they could probably figure out something to say about me, except for the, you know, I wouldn't be skating because I would be lying down on the ice anyway. <laughs> but, but I mean, like, uh, they, they would chirp away and... and uh, I think they call it sledging in in, uh, in cricket, and I think you know, like the, sometimes I'm very happy that you know the microphones don't pick up everything, and sometimes I think you know, like the game is there to be played, and we shouldn't be sledging or, or, or chirping away, and you know, there are some awful stuff being said on the ice, but yeah, you know, when it's I've seen players say some pretty god awful, terrible things to each other on the ice. It's like ask, you know. You've seen even Shaw in the past, he got in trouble for using, you know, homophobic language. Uh, Ryan uh, Getzloff recently did that. If you it to me, landing a well-placed chirp, that's just one word that immediately sets the whole team off. That isn't offensive, isn't demeaning to anyone. It's just a one word chirp about a player. I think you're doing you're doing your job pretty well. It's during the broadcast. It's like you listen to, uh, it was Mike Johnson on the call. He's like, uh, the only things that were ever off limits in on ice uh, trash talk were family and kids. Everything else is fair game. And I think saying waivers is part of it. It's not the first time someone's used something like that. Um, Brad Marchand against, I want to say it was Tom Sestito five or six years ago told him to turn the F around so he can see whose name is on the back of his jersey when they send him back down tomorrow. 
And stuff like that to me is hilarious. It makes the game worth watching. I mean, they can't play 90% of it because it's mostly obscenities, I'm sure. But I find things like that to be absolutely hilarious. Whistling waivers and waving and, you know, kind of shooing Zach Smith away, I think is more of a well thought out chirp than it is to be mean. And here's the thing. Domi backed up his trash talk. It's not like he was talking smack and the Canadians went out and lost 6 nothing. They won back-to-back games 5-2 and beat the Senators so badly, It's it was almost embarrassing for Ottawa. So it's not like he's... Oh, I'm sorry. It's like he's not just empty words, like a team who's losing. Like when the Bruins were losing badly to... The Canucks, uh, like two years after they won the cup, and you've got Marshan kissing an imaginary ring and everything. It's like, you're getting blown out off the rink right now. You know, maybe get out of there with some dignity from this game. Domi is doing it in a game where he personally put the Ottawa Senators in a hole with three points and two goals. It's, you know, he can chirp because he's playing well. He didn't cross a line doing it. And I, a lot of the response to it, people are asking or, you know, acting like he, basically, you know, talked smack about Zach Smith's family or his wife or kids or anything like that. It's he just said waivers and, you know, kind of shoot him away, which I don't think is, you know, deserving of the response that it's gotten. Nah, and uh, we should really focus on the games because, you know, Montreal came away with the two wins, which are important um, as we didn't think in the start of the season or, or during the summer that in the playoffs race, these two games can be huge. And uh, Montreal is uh, getting some points here and there, and and uh, are staying in that playoff race. I think it's is it five teams in the in the uh, Atlantic that is on the on the uh, in the playoff race right now. Whereas uh, there's only uh, I think the Atlantic has both wild card spots at least in in uh, so that would be five teams, and that's kind of surprising because the Metropolitan has really uh, dominated the. Uh, uh, the division so far, right? Yeah, as of right now, I'm looking at that. I want to say it's in the Atlantic, Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Buffalo of all teams are the top three teams in the Atlantic. And then occupying the first two wildcard spots are the Canadians and the Bruins. And then right behind the Bruins are the Detroit Red Wings with 30 points. And it's like in years past, it was just the Metro division just rotating people through as a grindhouse. And this year, that looks like it's going to be the Atlantic Division. Buffalo got really hot and shot up the uh, charts there. And now they're kind of struggling a little bit in their last couple games. So Montreal has a chance to make up the ground there. Montreal was hot for a while, and then they went and won one game out of seven. And now they're on another winning streak. It's going to be a close call right down to the end of the season, I think. And Montreal really has succeeded as well with uh, three lines that are producing. Uh, it's not just the top two line, it's the third line that is chipping in uh, with, with goals and assists. I think Lekkonen that we are complaining about a little bit like, has, what is it, 10 or 11 assists? Uh, and he's never really, he's never really been known as, as a playmaker, but he's getting there and, and he did some awesome work along the boards uh, last night to get some points and uh, to get an assist in. And, you know, uh, they're, Kotkaniemi has some similar, and that's, that's something we certainly didn't expect this summer and then they're rotating in rotating in players on on, on the opposite wing there i i, I want to have back the moomin line but god uh, byron he's he's so good and he's so versatile so i really enjoy uh, having a third line that can really you know put things in the offensive end as well it's not just like you know we're, we're out there to to play nil nil the whole game and, and hope the two to, to uh, top line score and then to carry price holds on for for dear life in the back end yeah it's like okay the third line you have Lekkonen who has 11 or 12 assists and five or six goals Paul Byron has six goals Kotkaniemi has double digit assists and is closing in on definitely breaking out as a goal scorer and that's the third line the second line is Domi, Druin, and Shaw you have eight ten and thirteen goals across that line double digit assists for two of them Shaw who's playing well and then you have the top line of Gallagher, Deneau, and Tatar, who are among the best in the NHL right now. I've looked at their numbers, and at both ends of the ice, they've been absolutely impossible for teams to slow down at all. And then the fourth line, for the first time in years, 
when they're out there, I'm like, okay, well, let's hope the ship ends. But they've been hemming teams in their own end and playing well. And it's a full balanced effort that's going to allow Montreal, especially when uh, Yoel Armia is healthy, and they get the and they get the defense all sorted out and find the right pairings. And Carey Price seems to be getting better now after a rough start. This is going to be a team that can very easily surprise a lot of people in the second half of the year. They've got the depth. They've got the stars that are playing well. And they've got the best goalie in the world when he's on his game. And he's been playing more and more like that, especially this past week against Ottawa. Yeah, and yesterday you were also pointing out how extreme the the zone coverage changes when uh, uh, the man mountain he really is a man mountain he covers half the zone and nothing really happens on that side um shay weber comes onto the ice it's uh, it was ridiculous to see those heat maps and that's why it's and brett kulak is a perfect partner for him because he likes to push the play and carry the puck weber his one big flaw is that he doesn't like to carry the puck he is very likely to get it and hit a breakout pass and let someone else carry it out of the zone and then trail the play Kulak likes to carry the puck, so he has no issue taking a breakout pass from Weber and leading that offensive rush. Jeff Petrie likes to lead that offensive rush. You know, guys like Mete and Mike Riley can lead that rush when they're in the lineup, and they can join the forwards and create a more diverse attack. Having Weber back takes some of that pressure off of Petrie to have to do everything on defense now, and it's already proving to be a good thing. Petrie's got a couple of assists. He had a goal last night, and... Weber's already playing well. He's already piling up points in the four or five games that he's played. These things are all clicking into place at the right time for the Canadians, and it couldn't be happening at a better time. And Weber looked like a forward against New York Rangers when he just like broke through and uh, and uh, put one easily into that. I still can't believe I watched that. Someone's like, Shea Weber had a breakaway. I'm like, no, you're shitting me. That's not a thing that happens. And then I saw the clip and I went, in one he had a breakaway goal, and then he smiled afterwards. So I just kind of expected to, you know, see pigs flying and a pale horse outside my window. But it, it's been, it's a different team now that he's back. They're a dominant force almost. Yeah, and also, yeah, as you said, like uh, it, it probably has a huge impact on Carey Price. You know, he can be a little bit calmer. He can be a little bit better uh, in that regard. But also, I. I I looked at what was it last night against Ottawa? Two goals, you know, again on twenty shots or nineteen shots. You know, you get cold a little bit. When he's used to do everything himself, and then he stands there uh, in his own zone, and and uh, Montreal is hemming in the opposite team in uh, in their own zone, in their zone, and you know, it it, it can't be that easy as well. You know, we're used to seeing Carey Price carrying this team, and suddenly he doesn't have to be you know, carry the monster price. And, and maybe that's part of the problem as well. And the thing is, it's like the goals he got beat on were a perfect shot by Mark Stone, who's very good at doing that. And then a penalty kill where one of his guys was a little bit out of position and he had to scramble to try and get back to his net. That's not something, it's not like it's fundamentally something he's doing wrong. He got beat on a perfect set play by the Senators. And regardless, in other plays, the redirections at the start of the game, a Brady Kachuk two-on-one chance, he stopped every high-danger chance that he could see. Just because he let in two goals on 21 shots doesn't mean he played badly. In fact, I'd argue that most people who watch that game are like, that's the price I'm used to seeing. But the defense and offense limiting so many shots against, it's hard to build those numbers up. So he got the win, but he only had a 9.05 save percentage. So it looks bad, but you have to look beyond what the basic stats say and look at how the game was played. He faced 21. And especially with the second goal where he actually, he, he doesn't monster save just before it. And he, he goes very far out to, to, to kill that shot. And obviously the rebound doesn't, doesn't get taken away from any of the defenders. And he has to scramble to get back. I mean, like you have to remember the save he made before when you look at, you know, if he doesn't make that save, it's if he doesn't go out, it's a goal anyway. Yeah, and that was the big issue in the beginning of the year. It's like he's not making the save that we expect him to. Now he's making the saves we expect him to. It's, you know, perfect shots or, you know, last second redirect changes or tips off his own player skates. It's 
Price looks a lot more like himself. The rebounds aren't there on shots that he can see. He's, you know, you can hear the shot hit his pads and you see him kind of like ball up like a turtle and the puck's not anywhere to be seen because he's got it locked in. And it looks like he's having fun out there. Like he body checked Warren Fogle last week. He's smiling whenever Shea Weber's around on the ice. He's having fun. And if he's loose, that's the best carry price you can hope for. So is everything uh, smiling as Kotkaniemi is in, in Montreal land? I think right now with the expectations for this team, um, the record's not perfect. They had some games that they could have won and should have won that they lost, but they're young and they're learning. And if this is the first year of a rebuild and they're going to add guys like Ryan Paling and Nick Suzuki and you know uh, Josh Brook and maybe Kale Fleury in the coming months and year – this team's going to improve as some of these older vets kind of get filtered out of the lineup and these young guys come into a game that is meant to be played up-tempo. It fits, and it's there might be some bumps in the road, but they're a young team. There's going to be bumps. Max Domi's probably not going to shoot at almost 20%, but he doesn't have to. This isn't a team that's going to rely on one group of people to get it done. Let's say Domi goes slightly cold. Well, then there's Gallagher and Tatar that can pick that up. If one of them is slumping, then maybe Kutkaniemi and Paul Byron can step in for that. Even the fourth line is capable of picking up some offensive zone time when, they ha- when they're given the chance. It's not a one-line team anymore. It's a team that can roll through the lineup and pick each other up game in and game out now. And Lekkanen is bound to you know, pot a few just for sheer dumb luck soon. I don't know what the hell cursed that poor child, but it's he. you're like, oh, man, this is a slam dunk, and then it's like a save of the year candidate, or it hits the post, or his stick explodes, or a fire-breathing turtle melts the puck into the ice, or something stupid happens to the poor kid. When he finally figures out what's causing this goal-scoring slump of his, he's going to be a monster, because we know we can pot 20 at the NHL level. It's just a matter of, getting that one that, you know, opens the floodgates for him. Yeah, the ketchup effect. Exactly. Uh, there is a game starting actually just about now. Uh, Rocket are playing, and, and what are your takes on, like, give us a few minutes of, of Rocket time? Uh, so, it's a lot of the issues that have been mirrored in Montreal are happening in Laval as well, in that they're playing well and they're piling up shots. And guys, Michael McCarron had a four-point game, a four-assist game on Sunday, and the team still lost. Sometimes it's just a little bit of bad luck. Sometimes it's goaltending. But the penalty kills kind of slipped a little bit in recent weeks. And unfortunately, they don't have a dominant power play like they've had in the past to pick that up. So now Bouchard's kind of trying to figure out what he can do to find that consistency and lock it down defensively as well. Victor Mette has been playing well. Um, Simon Dupre was signed to a professional tryout contract. He's playing tonight, but they're also going to be going on their next road trip without their starting goaltender. Charlie Lindgren has a lower body injury. He's out for the near future, at least. Um, Etienne Marcoux and Michael McNiven will be your goalie tandem for the weekend. Uh, Marcoux starts tonight in Belleville. That game actually is about to start right now. And then I would more than likely assume that Michael McNiven will start tomorrow in Toronto against the Marlies. So it's, you know, it's an AHL team that they're working their way through with a constantly shuffling lineup. You know, Joel Bouchard's learning the league just as a lot of his players are as well. So we did actually have a little bit higher expectations though this year. And, uh, it is a little bit unfortunate, but as you say, it's a learning process, not only for the players, it's only also for the for the coach. I spoke with Thomas Montaigne, the Swedish World Junior Championship coach. Um, he's suspended for a few games because of an incident at the uh, medal ceremony last year. Um, but he had some interesting things to say about Jacob Olofsson. Uh, unfortunately, he is in a car. Uh, I, I recorded the interview and you're going to listen to that bit uh, in a few seconds. But... Uh, he's in a car, uh, so his sound is quality is a little bit low. Just so you guys know. Obviously, I'm writing for for a Montreal-based uh, side, and and uh, we're all like, curious about your thoughts about Jakob Olafsson. Uh, he's struggled a little bit in Timro. He has uh, played an important role for you in in the warm-up games to to the uh, 
to releasing the squad and, and what I assume would be a similar role in in, uh, in the World Juniors. Um, maybe a little bit different if you can get Isaac Lundestrom to, to, to join you from Anaheim. But how do you see Jacob's role with the team? Yeah, as you said, I mean, he, he was he was really good last year. He was he was so close on making our team last year. I think, uh, and then he had a really good second hard, hard half of the season. He I mean, he was a big factor for Timbro uh, moving up to the SHL. Uh, this year, I don't know if he's been struggling. I mean, the team has been struggling. I mean, it's, it's tough. They're 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 a newcomer to the league. They have a little bit. A little bit weaker squad than, than the best teams, and, and for sure they, they get to play a lot more defensive games than they they're used to. And I, maybe his offensive part of the game isn't where he were last year, but I think that's more of the it's more of the team. I think in the he plays in a, in a tougher league. Uh, for us, he's a he's a very useful forward. I mean, he, he can play a he can play center as they as as they've been doing. He can play on. A, on a, as a two-way center, he can play on a more offensive line, making making good plays, playing the power play. But he can also play on a more more of a two-way line and, and playing the PK as well. He can uh, he play he can play on the wing. So we'll see where he ends up. I mean, for sure, when when we get over and we get our uh, all our forwards set and we we know which centers we have, it could be that he plays on a on a more offensive line as a winger, uh, but. but same thing. We know we can use him as a center man as well. But he's a he's a skilled player. He, he's going to help us move the puck. He's going to help us create plays. And, and as I say, he's a he's a really useful useful forward in our lineup. And we're back, uh, Scott. What are your thoughts about what what Montaigne says here about Jacob Olafson? He he speaks about his role in Timro, and he speaks about you know a very interesting solution to the role that Jacob can have in a Swedish team, depending on if Isaac Lindström is coming from uh, Anaheim or not. I think one out of everything from what he said, Canadians fans are going to be excited because he's the way that he speaks about him is that Olofsson is someone who's clearly going to be depended on in any number of roles. He mentioned that he could be, you know, that defensive guy. He can take those tough matchups and play big minutes on the penalty kill, or they can shift him to an offensive role and he'll be a power play guy and one of their, you know, exploitation forwards. And I think that speaks to the versatility of what um, Olafson's game is going to be, especially on a Swedish team that's likely to be medal favorites again, I would imagine, right? Nope. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, there, there goes my whole profile for the Swedish team. No, we're not going to be medal favorites. Uh, this is probably one of the weakest teams that uh, we had for the last few years. And uh, for those who doesn't know, I'm Swedish, obviously. Uh, but it's uh, last time we had a similar team, we actually won gold. So we shouldn't be saying that, you know. But but uh, <laughs> the defense is so good. It's incredible. It's actually, we could almost play it in senior level and still be very, very good. And, and that's minus the first overall pick in last year's draft. Yeah, and and as, as you say, like, like Rasmus Dahlin is still eligible to play, but he won't be there, you know. And uh, so so that's part of it. Uh, but you have Timothy Lilligren and and Rasmus Sandin that is going to be um, that is already playing um, together in the Marlies on smaller size rink that will benefit them both, and you're not going to break up that uh, pairing anyway. Uh, you you got some other good guys coming in. The fact is that the forward line is pretty weak, and uh, yeah, the defense will have to score as well. But uh, as as Montaigne says here, uh, what I think is is as you say the versatility. And for me, it was really interesting to hear him say, you know, worst case, we'll just put him on the wing. Yeah, it's like you know, it's the the fun part about World Juniors is just because you brought like seven centers to a tournament doesn't mean all of them have to play center. If you can create a line that's going to be dynamite with Olofsson playing center or wing, you have to do that. It's a small sample tournament. It's not going to, you play to win the tournament. You're not going long term here. This isn't like a season long thing. You play to win that tournament, which is why it always shocks me that teams won't 
that they'll bring someone like, oh, well, he's a good defensive forward for this, and that's his big thing. It's like, score goals, man. Who cares if you win 8-7? None of the stats matter afterwards. Did you win the game? That's what matters. And Olofsson clearly, you know, in the eyes of the coach, could be a guy that can be the defensive center, can be the offensive center, penalty kill, power play. He's going to be played in a verse in a bunch of roles until they find which one suits him best. And that's the probably the way it should be played so far. Or in this tournament anyways. Yeah, and I think also in, in what he really lets let's in here in, in some ways is that Olofsson is here to stay. In Sweden will cut two forwards, one goalie and one defender, I think, or if it's only one defender and two two forwards. But uh, from the sound of it, Montaigne says, no, 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 Olofsson is here to stay. And and I think that's very interesting as well. But and, Yeah, and he said he almost made it last year. That's got to be a great sign for him going into this camp, that if he made it before his draft year, he's got to almost surely be a lock for it in his draft or his post-draft year. Yeah, and, and the fact is, like, we'll look at the numbers and we'll look at, at how he plays, but he also plays, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry to say this for, for any Timro fan that is uh, listening, but uh, now this is the first time after about 20, 25 games in the, in the SHL, this is the first time that uh, Timro is actually in the relegation zone. And uh, I predicted them to be there uh, before the season, but uh, I'm surprised it's taken this long, and they're still fighting with the uh, and, and everything they have to to avoid it. But I'm 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 thinking that they will probably be in that relegation battle uh, come April in Sweden. But Olofsson is still performing better than average in 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 his team, and he has a PDO that is around 94%. So I'm I'm feeling sorry for him. <laughs> He's doing it as an 18-year-old player, too, which is always impressive. To be in a men's, one of the best leagues in the world, to be playing the role that he is against guys who might be, you know, four, five, six to a decade older than he is, and he's managing to at least put on performances that are catching the eye of, you know, his international coaches. Yeah, and he's also doing it with about 16, 17 minutes a game, you know, which is, you know, exceptional for an 18-year-old, I think. Absolutely. Then we'll look at others. Uh, let's mix them up so so it's not you speaking all the time or me speaking all the time. But we, <laughs> let's start with like uh, there are you know one two three four five six seven Canadian prospects in uh, the World Juniors this year. Uh, some of them might be forced out. I don't really see who. Uh, we're a little bit worried about Axel, uh, Alexander Romanov, uh, our own Tsar uh, here in, in at, uh, Eyes on the Prize. Uh, he took a hit in uh, in the last game against uh, uh, Omsk. Um, he only played 220 uh, on the Thursday night, and uh, I haven't been able to get in, uh, any uh, information from Seska about how bad it was or, or what happened. He looked okay. Uh, I have it on Twitter on on my feed, and he looked okay. He skated by himself to the, to the bench. But after that, he didn't play anything, and uh, it's a little bit unfortunate. Uh, he should be a lock, and uh, I'm sorry to all Canadian fans. I actually told Thomas Montaigne that if he didn't, he, he didn't know about it. Uh, Alexander Romanov can hit, so um, better tell <laughs> the Swedish players to to watch when he's on the ice. And he laughed about it and said he would inform it. So so we're we're, we're getting used to international scouting nowadays as well. Um, others, but uh, maybe. The prospect that everyone is going to look out for, and, and me included, is Nick Suzuki uh, for Canada, who is also uh, there with Josh Brook. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Um, Brook is apparently, despite his outstanding season, and every scout that I've talked to has loved Josh Brook's game since the day he was drafted. They've compared him to guys who are steady NHLers at or and have been for years. Um, the thing with the tournament is just because he's steady doesn't mean he's going to always make it. It, like I said, it's a best on best short tournament. You bring guys that you know are going to bring the offense more often than not. So someone like a Merkley or um, some of the returning guys could pass over him, even though he might be the best option available. I think he's going to make it and then he'll probably he could be someone who forces his way into a bigger role within um the team there. 
Um, it's Team Canada. They're stacked. It's not easy to just take your spot, you know. Um, Nick Suzuki is a lock. There's no way that he doesn't make this team short of being injured. And I think a lot of fans are going to be really excited to see what he does playing on a line with some of the best um, stars in Canadian hockey right now. Um, he's fast. He's a good playmaker. He's got a great shot. He makes things happen when he's on the ice. And that's exactly what Habs fans want to see because that trade for Patch Reddy, who despite his recent goal scoring streak, is turning out even better. There's a second round pick, one of the best prospects in the CHL, and Thomas Tatar, who's absolutely lighting it up right now. But that's getting a little off topic. I think Suzuki is going to be probably the one who attracts the most eyes during this tournament. Um, if not someone like Romanov, who, you know, is a little bit unknown to more uh, fans in this side of, on this side of the pond anyways. Yeah, you know, after Romanov has laid out like five players, everyone was going to be hyping him to a bit. Unfortunately, in, in some ways, but he's really shown in international play this season is Jesse Ilanen. He's struggling a little bit in Liga. He is uh, working his ass off. His uh, work ethic is incredible. Uh, let's be honest with that. Uh, but he will suit up for actually a, a Finnish team that Coach Montaigne, uh, uh, the Swedish coach, said would challenge Canada for, for the gold medal in the tournament. Uh, and, you know, being part of that team, and he also mentioned, you know, like, Tolvalainen is not in the Finnish team. Kotkaniemi is not in the Finnish team. Vesalainen, they're not sure they're getting him because he's in Jokerit and Jets are still uh, owning the rights to him. So Jets will have to decide if he can go or not. You know, Finland is missing a ton of really good players. And uh, they will still, in, in uh, the Swedish coach eyes, be one of the absolute challengers to Canada. Yes, Ilanen is on that team. And he will uh, be trusted with a more uh, offensive role. He struggles in Liga with his defensive assignments. He, he does that all the time. He's getting a little bit better. I would have hoped it would have gotten faster for him to, to develop that side of the game. But his speed and his mitts are... When those are on target, you know, like, he's going to skate circles around people and he's going to deke them, you know, inside out. It's, it's incredible what he can do. He just needs to have the confidence and the trust from the coach and be played in those situations. Uh, I also like to see him a little bit better used on the power play than he is in Liga, but, you know each to their own and i'm not there is a reason i'm not a professional coach <laughs> and that's the thing like you mentioned his speed and skill is going to be an asset for his team is that if he's the guy streaking out of the zone and someone hits him with a pass if one, someone is a half step behind it's game over for them we see it with paul byron at the nhl level if he can do that for there it could always have the impact going back into you know his play in liga that he goes to this tournament and he scores some goals and is trusted in certain roles that it kind of sparks a little bit of, you know, it clicks and then he gets it and it improves his play at the next level from that. It could be a huge confidence builder for someone like him. Yeah, and I, th there was this segment from the Czech tournament about Ilonen where he was half a step behind and suddenly he was just a step ahead of the Swedish defender. And the other Swedish defender had to go over and cover. And suddenly he was there with two people and just tossed the puck in and it was a goal. You know, like uh, a, one of the other Finnish players just jumped on the rebound and, uh, you know, put it in. Um, and he is incredible that way. It's just that he, he doesn't even need half a step ahead. He needs half a step, like he can catch that up in, in two strides. His explosiveness from, from the start is really what sets his skating. It's not like he skates really fast all the time, but when he when he accelerates, the acceleration is, is incredible to see. It's not going to be a McDavid kind of acceleration, let's be honest, but it's going to be there. Yeah. And then we have on the American team, which is your team, right? Ryan Peeling yes. and, and uh, Creighton Primo. And that's and that's the thing. Um, last year, Ryan Paling and Victor Mate were the two guys in focus at the tournament. Uh, Yoni Ikinen was there, but obviously Finland struggled a little bit in that tournament, and it actually led to one of the saddest post-game interviews I've ever had to do in my life with uh, the Finnish players after they lost to the Czechs. But Paling is back for hey, a I second the year. Czechs. I did that. Yeah, yeah, I know you did. <laughs> but it's um. 
Paling's back for a second year, and he is going to be um, uh, one of those big guys for the team. Last year, he was their Swiss Army knife. Penalty kill, big defensive face-off, offensive zone face-off, top six guaranteed. The Americans are stacked in the forward core once again, but him as a returning player who has that experience, three years of college experience, it's very likely that we're going to see Paling you know, be that guy for their head for the coach again. It's and what fancy to realize is he's not always going to put up points, but he's also taking on heavy assignments and playing, you know, 16, 17, 18 minutes a night as a forward. He's getting more ice time than some defensemen did last year, which it's like, okay, understand that there's a he's doing a role out there and that's what's important. He wasn't drafted to be a high offensive ceiling guy. He has the ability to put some points up, but he's never going to be, you know, 70, 80 point guy. He's going to be your consistent, maybe 30, 40 point guy who just eats up those defensive minutes, kind of like Philip Deneau does now. Um, Caden Primo was an absolute revelation last year. Playing in net for Northeastern, he was one of the best goalies in the country. And this year he's repeating that for one of the best teams in the country. He almost made the team last year. I think he was the last goalie cut and they kept uh, Ottinger and wool. And then Jeremy Swayman from the university of Maine. And when he was the last goalie cut from that group, it made it kind of obvious. He was going to be almost guaranteed a lock next year, unless like Suzuki, he fails, you know, in the pre tournament games gets injured or any, other awful thing but you can almost lock in both those guys for the u.s roster and paling in the top six and primo probably might get the starters job um before their pre-tournament camp is over so yeah it's going to be an exciting uh, tournament for for most canadian prospects uh, maybe not for jacob olofsson i think uh, sweden as i said uh might underachieve or maybe not underachieve but where what we have come to known about Swedish hockey and junior hockey, uh, I don't think we will be as successful this year. I don't think it will be as bad as Finland was last year, but I think Sweden crashes out in the quarterfinals. What are your top four uh, for the World Juniors? Just looking at the rosters right now, it's tough because it's easy to just say Canada and the U.S., but. It's also likely that's what it's going to be again. And then outside of that, I think Finland and Russia are both going to be the other teams. Um, the, I'd have to take a deeper look at the Czechs schedule or uh, roster, but I haven't um, gotten a chance to do so yet. So I'm going to be boring and say it's going to be the U.S., Canada, Finland, and then either Russia or Sweden are probably going to be the final four teams there. Even if Sweden doesn't have a strong roster, they have the talent that should get them into the semifinals regardless. Yeah, and Thomas Montaigne can start coaching somewhere around that time as well. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I actually, do, well, looking at the Swedish roster, and I, I need to look into the Czechs as well, but for the Czechs, I think it also comes to will Chittil play in, in, in the World Juniors or will he be with the New York Rangers, etc. They will have some players that they're not sure about uh, are coming. And, you know, Finland has left three spots open. I'm just tossing it out there. Three spots are left open on the Finnish team for forwards. Uh, and where do I want to go with this? Everyone can figure it out. Should Finland ask Montreal for Kotkaniemi or not? The hard part about it is they can ask, but I'm pretty sure with how well he's playing in Montreal, the answer is going to be a solid no, which is not something I envisioned at the beginning of the year. It'd be different if Montreal still had their center depth behind Kotkaniemi, but Plakanitz is in the Czech Republic now. Uh, Jacob Delarose plays for Detroit, um, and they might not want to rush one of the rookies up, up from the AHL, like a Jake Evans or a Lucas Vedemo or even Michael McCarron right now, especially when they're in the thick of a tightly contested playoff race. So, Are you just saying go, this because, you know, you North Americans just never wanted you know, European team to win in North America. Oh, I like it when they win. That's how you get photos of Arturi Lekin in a shopping cart. Yeah, but that was my Sweden, favorite you know? photo. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> regardless, I mean, if he were to go, I think it'd be another good growing opportunity for him. But at the same time in the NHL right now, I think he is developing 
at a faster rate than even I envisioned when he was drafted. So I, there's no downside to saying yes or no with that is I think my final point on it. And there are pros and pros depending on which view you have. I guess. Exactly. Anyway, thank you, Scott, for taking the time. Uh, always great to have you here. We hope that Namiko Hitsuzubashi or Jared Brook or Julian McKenzie or maybe we can even get uh, uh, David San Luis to get onto one of these pods. Uh, would be perfect to get him on before the World Junior Championship starts. But uh, next time, uh, this time it's been Scott Matlock, and we can find you on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and whatnot. I know that. Do you want to give it a shout out to yourself? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Scott Matla. It's just my name. Um, I keep Instagram mostly for family, friends, and a few close people. So if you find me, cool. If I know you, I'll approve, whatever. But um, yeah, I'm on Twitter more often than not. You'll just look for the guy yelling a lot and you'll find me. Yeah. And uh, let's not forget, uh, you can find me on at uh, Seb underscore Habs. Mrs. Seb doesn't have a, a, a Twitter account yet. I'm looking forward to, to when she starts digging through my Twitter feed. But uh, th- that will be the day. Anyways, uh, we also have uh, Habsent Minded at Habsent underscore Minded, right? Yes, that's the one. And of course, Hab Size on the Price, always. Um, we're also on Instagram. Uh, I don't know how many followers we have there, but Andrea posts uh, every now and then, and you should be able to, to lock that up as well. Uh, and please get us some reviews get us some uh, some ratings somewhere uh, no matter what where you download the pod from if it's the soundcloud uh, like it itunes google play leave us a rating leave us a review any little bit of constructive feedback is good yeah and we're also obviously going to have this as a uh, uh, as an article on a half size of the price so you know, you can always leave a comment. We're going to read them. We might not always answer, but we will always read them and uh, hopefully agree with you. And uh, if not, we'll take it to heart and uh, try to improve as much as we can. 